Greetings from St Bride's Church, Fleet Street, here in the very heart of the City of London. We're delighted that you're able to join us for this act of worship. St Bride's is famous for its ministry to journalists, and behind me here you can see our journalists' commemorative altar. We are aware as never before of the dangers that those in the industry face when bringing us the news. So our journalists and all who work in the media are very much in our thoughts and prayers at this time. However, we are, of course, here for all of you, journalists and everyone else. Do please leave us a comment or a like and tell us where you're listening from. It's always good to hear from you. And if you would like to donate to help support these services, uh, you'll find details of how to do so in the accompanying text. But now, may the light and peace of Christ be with us all as our worship begins.
May I welcome you very warmly to St. Bride's to our service of choral evensong on this the seventh Sunday after Trinity. We're delighted that you are able to join us online for this service. Beloved, we are come together in the presence of Almighty God and of the whole company of heaven to offer unto him through our Lord Jesus Christ our worship and praise and thanksgiving, to make confession of our sins, to pray as well for others as for ourselves, that we may know more truly the greatness of God's love and show forth in our lives the fruits of his grace, and to ask on behalf of all men such things as their well-being doth require. Wherefore, let us kneel now and humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. May the almighty and merciful Lord grant unto you pardon and remission of all your sins, time for amendment of life, and the grace and comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
The Old Testament lesson is written in the book of Genesis, chapter 50, beginning at the fourth verse. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die, in my grave which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up, and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Egypt, and his brethren, and his father's house. Only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore, the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan, and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father, after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now, we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, ye though thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knee. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware unto Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being an hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord.
New Testament lesson is written in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 14, beginning at the first verse. Follow after charity, and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, and exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine? And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so, yea, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say Amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray.
and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of thy name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and of thy great mercy keep us in the same. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. O God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works to proceed. Give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give, that both our hearts may be set to obey thy commandments, and also that by thee we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Lighten our darkness, we beseech thee, O Lord, and by thy great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of thy only Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ.
In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Any of you who have walked around this area recently, particularly if you've strolled along Fleet Street and Ludgate Hill, cannot fail to have noticed that we are in the middle of a great and mighty building site on all sides. There are scaffolding and builders hoardings everywhere you look. And in various places, pedestrians currently have to make their way single file along the pavements in view of the various obstacles in their way. But I'm always surprised at how, within a very short space of time, we become accustomed to such awkward changes. Somehow, the new situation becomes normal. So, when eventually the scaffolding is removed again, they've just removed the enormous edifice that has been enveloping City Thameslink, uh, City Thameslink Station for some months. When that all is taken down, you find yourself looking around saying, Coo, I'd forgotten there was all this space here. Some of you may recall precisely that experience here at St Bride's itself, when for several months back in, I think it was 2016, the whole of the inside of this wonderful church was a solid mass of planks and scaffolding poles as we refurbished and restored our inner decor. When eventually the work was completed and it was all taken down, most of us just stood here and said, wow, <laughs> we were utterly amazed to re-encounter this fabulous building in all its glory, free from all the building apparatus which for months had been cutting out the daylight and reducing the size of the central nave by about a third. We'd all forgotten quite how big and spacious this church feels. Or, to put it another way round, we suddenly realised how our horizons had become narrowed during the time the scaffolding was in place, simply because we had acclimatised to it. We were used to it being a much more constricted and dark and difficult place. The experience of narrowing horizons is an interesting human phenomenon which can afflict and affect all of us. Whenever our circumstances become suddenly more restricted for whatever reason, requiring us to adapt how we live accordingly, within a remarkably short time we begin to adapt, however grudgingly, and in the process we can very quickly forget what life was like before that was the case. My own most significant experience of that was about 12 years ago when I was very seriously ill for several weeks and I was hospitalised in isolation for part of that. A few days after I'd been admitted to hospital, when they were still running tests to try and find out what was wrong with me, I found myself awake in the early hours of the morning and I was pretty miserable. It was the height of summer and I was hot and thirsty, desperate, desperate for a long cold drink. But I was nil by mouth because they hadn't yet decided whether or not I needed major surgery. And so I was only allowed ice cubes in my mouth. I couldn't drink. And I was desperate for a proper bath or a shower to wash my hair after several days of nothing but bed baths. 
And in addition, I had tubes coming out of various parts of my anatomy, some of which were causing me immense discomfort. And I can remember thinking to myself, if right now I was given three wishes and I could wish for anything in the world, I know without any shadow of a doubt what I would wish for. First, for a really large jug of orange squash, which is rather odd because normally I hate the stuff, but I was that desperate for a long, very cold drink. Secondly, to be able to wash my hair, please just wash my hair. And thirdly, to get rid of one of the tubes in particular that was inserted into my person, which was giving me a great deal of grief. And I was astonished to find myself thinking these thoughts because it alerted me to the interesting fact that at that precise moment, the size of my world had been reduced to that of a hospital bed. Two of the things that I craved most in the world at that point were things that normally I so take for granted that I don't even notice them. Cold, refreshing drinks and shampoo, which again illustrates how swiftly and easily our horizons, our sense of normality, can change and become so narrowed and reduced. Sometimes, as in the situation I've just described in my own experience, there's not a lot one can do about it. You know, life is just like this for this period of time, and you continue as best you can. But at other times, it is that very narrowness of vision from which we need to be liberated, because there are situations in life when those sorts of restrictions are actually self-imposed. Sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that in reality we are in chains and those chains are at some level of our own making. Part of the power of the Christian gospel is that it has precisely that capacity to blow apart the narrowness and constriction of our vision and to en enable us to see the world and other people and indeed almighty God in a completely different way, through the eyes of Christ. And when that happens, when that happens to me, not only am I chastened to discover quite how narrow my vision and my understanding has become, but the sense of liberation and freedom that comes when those constraints are lifted or removed can be mind-blowing. One of my favourite poems by Seamus Heaney touches on these kinds of themes. It reminds us how easily we beca can become wedded to the cosy and the familiar, even if it stunts our vision and denies us the wonderful vista that could otherwise be ours. In the poem that I'm about to read, Heaney describes how he himself strongly resisted the idea of building a skylight in an upper room of his house, but how, when that work was finally done, he discovered all the wonders that his previous narrowness of vision had denied him and everyone else as his world was opened up. The poem ends with a wonderful evocation of a biblical healing miracle. The man who was sick of the palsy, whose friends lowered him through the roof of the house so that he could experience Jesus' healing touch. It's a very simple, but
but rather wonderful poem entitled The Skylight. You were the one for skylights. I opposed cutting into the seasoned tongue and groove of pitched pine. I liked it low and closed, its claustrophobic nest up in the roof effect. I liked the snuff dry feeling, the perfect trunk lid fit of the old ceiling. Under there, it was all hutch and hatch. The blue slates kept the heat like midnight thatch. But when the slates came off, extravagant sky entered and held surprise wide open. For days I felt like an inhabitant of that house where the man, sick of the palsy, was lowered through the roof, had his sins forgiven, was healed, took up his bed and walked away. Amen. Let us pray. Generous God, your love sets us free and fills us with your grace. Set our hearts at peace that we may trust in your rich bounty. Give us patient and pure hearts, O God. We ask for your blessing on the leaders of your holy churches and especially on Alison, our rector, Sarah, our bishop, Justin and Stephen, our Archbishops. We pray also today for the Church of the Province of West Africa and for Jonathan Hart, Primate and Metropolitan and Bishop of Liberia. Lord, in thy mercy, hear our prayer. 
generous God, we pray for all troubled by their economic state, for farmers anxious about their crops, for traders anxious about market fluctuations, for those who feel shut out from the economy and those who do not have sufficient for their daily needs. In all things, teach us to celebrate the gifts of your abundant love. Lord, in thy mercy, hear our prayer. Generous God, you unite us in a common wealth. We pray for the leaders of the nations, for our Queen and our government. And we continue to pray for Ukraine, for a laying down of arms, for reconstruction and reconciliation. We continue also to pray for journalists in that nation and elsewhere in the world where they are in harm's way in the course of their work. Bind us together, Lord, and expand our charity to reach all your people. Lord, in thy mercy, hear our prayer. Generous God, your compassion extends throughout creation. Hear our prayer for all in any kind of need. We remember before you, especially those in our parish community in this city and around the world. We remember before you any others known to us personally. We ask for your blessing on all who suffer in body, mind or spirit. Sustain them in their troubles and restore in them hope in you. Lord, in thy mercy, hear our prayer. Generous God, you are the source and goal of all life. We lay before your love all who have died. We remember especially all the recently departed and those whose years mind comes at this time. At the final judgment, draw us all to your treasury in heaven. Lord, in thy mercy, hear our prayer. We commend ourselves and all for whom we have prayed to the mercy and protection of God. Merciful Father, accept, accept these, these prayers, prayers for, for the, the sake, sake of thy, thy Son, our, our Saviour Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen.
pure hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always.